thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Here is what the word of the Lord says in Hebrews 10, 24. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon title. It's funny, I'm looking at the screen so I can see the title of the message. What can going to church do for me? Listen, here's the title of the message. You need to get this. You need to be able to answer this question for yourself and for anyone who might ever ask you, what can going to church do for me? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I thank you for our graduates today and allowing us to celebrate them. Father, I pray that you would help us as a people to learn to love each other more and celebrate each other's triumphs more. God, I pray now in this hour we would celebrate you as we look to your word. Father, I pray that you would anoint my mouth and my mind, strengthen my body, God, and give me the words to say that would be sound doctrine. Lord, you love the church. You gave yourself for the church. Teach us now what you would have us to know. Lord, I ask that you would increase our faith and draw us closer to you and to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. What can going to church do for me? I told you that this weekend is the 15th anniversary. Tomorrow will be officially the 15th anniversary since we started this church on a dirt patch in a broken down building that we had to completely redo from the roofs to the outer shells to all the inside and God began to increase and grow us as a church, grow me as a person, as a pastor, as a Christian. And I'm excited that God has allowed me to stand in one place as the senior pastor of a local congregation for 15 years because that's unusual and that's exceptional in today's day and age. Hallelujah. The average pastor stays between 18 and 36 months. And it's no mystery why pastors move around so much. They run out of stuff to say. They, they, they've preached all their impressive things, and if they're not still learning, they don't have anything new to say. And if they're not still growing, then they realize that people are starting to see chinks in the armor. And church folk don't like to see chinks in the armor of their pastor. That's why professors in seminary taught us that the first year will be your honeymoon period. When you get your first church, because they always call it the first church. I told them, I plan on pastoring one church till I die. I'm not planning on using the small church to get to the medium-sized church to get to the big church. I believe God's going to call me somewhere and plant me somewhere because the Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. You transplant a flower too many times, it starts to die. Y'all don't want to hear about church hopping this morning, but I'm going I'm to keep moving. Uh, but started this church 15 years ago. It was small. God has grown it. They, they told us the first year in seminary would be your honeymoon period. It's where the pa- new pastor comes in and the church hated the old pastor so much. The old pastor had done so much wrong. The old pastor drove the old church down so low that everybody was so excited about the new pastor. The first honeymoon year, the pastor can do no wrong. And everybody loves that. And the pastor's great. And everybody loves the pastor. S- professor said, the second year, they're going to get mad at you. They're going to realize that you're there and you're making decisions and they're not. And it's first year you could do no wrong. Second year you could do no right. If you survive until the third year, it's a coin toss. You might make it and you might not. Fifteen years later, we're still making it. And I thank God for that. When we started, amen, hallelujah, thank you. When we started this church, though, I was determined not to just have another church. I don't think the world needs another church. I'm glad we have lots of churches in America. I really am. I'm glad that there's a church on most corners in our community. There needs to be different churches reach different types of people. But I had no interest in pastoring just another church. I wanted to pastor a unique church. I wanted to pastor a church that would fit a need for people whose need was not being met by other churches. Listen to the mission of our church to transform our world by the power of God's love transform means change for the better and I believe our world needs to be changed for the better can we agree with that 
Whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, whether you're conservative or a liberal, left wing, right wing, no wing, chicken wing, you ought to understand the world, our community needs to change for the better. And that's our desire as a church to transform our world by the power of God's love, but with some very key elements in place that I see other churches neglecting. I believe God wants to use our congregation not just to transform the world by the power of God's love, but to do some things inside the church, say inside, specifically tearing some stuff down because the Bible says that you got to root out to build up. You can't build up without first tearing something out. You got to get the weeds out before you can grow the flowers up. And several things, three specific things that I decided in starting this church, and I asked God to allow us to be effective in these things, to work to tear down walls of separation inside the church of racism, denominationalism, and class structure. If you go to church in America, then you should agree with what Dr. King said in the 60s, Billy Graham requoted him in the 70s. Preachers have been saying it since the 80s, and it's still true today that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. By far, the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. All across this country right now, there are rooms filled with people. Bigger rooms than this, smaller rooms than this. The average church in America runs 85 people. So... That, that's, that's what it is. We, we're, you know, about two to three times that size right now, so I thank God for that. But the average church runs about 85. There are churches that run 20,000, 30,000, and everywhere in between. But if you went there, or if we could just have a 30,000-foot look down, if we were in some giant hovering vehicle looking down from the sky inside all these different churches, we would see buildings with all white people. We would see buildings with all black people. We would see buildings with all Hispanic people. We would see buildings with all Asian people. Does this mean that everybody's racist and hateful and going to hell? Not necessarily. Some of it's just a comfort. Some of it's just a cultural thing. Some of it's just how people grew up going to the church they grew up going to. But I personally believe this. And you can tell any pastor that wants to hear it, and you can tell those that don't want to hear it. If a church is in a community that has more than one race of people living inside that community, and their church does not represent that color person inside their church, they're racist and they're prejudiced and they need to get right with God. We need to get to a place inside the church where we really believe what the Bible says, that we got to love each other. The Bible says you can't love a God who you've never seen if you can't love the people that you do see. People claiming that they love God, but they don't love people, they got a heart condition. The church needs to work against racism because racism is alive, not just in the world. I'm not upset about what's in the world. I'm not upset about the pornography in the world. I'm not upset about the drugs in the world. I'm not upset about the craziness in the world. I expect that. They don't have Christ. They don't have God. They don't have the Holy Spirit to constrain and compel and to draw them, to sanctify them, to transform them. They're just doing what their natural base instinct has called them to do. But inside the church, we should be different. Inside the church, we should be better. Inside the church, we should rise up. And listen, I've had so many people say, well, Pastor Scott, that's just how I was raised. God is not concerned with how you were raised. God is concerned with your change. The Bible says when you come into Christ, your life should change, that old things should pass away and things should become new in your life. Listen, racism's not uh, an American thing. It's a universal worldwide thing. It, 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 it's, it's a hate thing, and it's been around forever. It was active in the Old Testament, active in the New Testament. The apostles had to learn how to accept Gentiles. The apostles had, they were Jewish people. Listen, they wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as a Samaritan. You think it's bad now? You think there's racism in America now? People look, roll their eyes past you, don't, don't want to wave at you driving by. And they wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street, wouldn't eat in a room. Listen, racism has been around since the beginning of time, but it should not be inside the Lord's church. 
because the Bible says we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you believe in God and the person sitting by you that doesn't look like you believes in God, that's your brother or your sister in Christ. How many of you know inside one family can be different shades of melanin? Amen. So I believe that God has put Abundant Life Christian Fellowship on the planet starting 15 years ago, continuing through now to continue to tear down walls of separation inside the church, primarily that of racism. I pray when God put it in my heart to start this church that we would be a multiracial church. The Bible says in heaven, every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue will worship God together in unity. I don't see that happening in America that much. And it's not just race that divides the church. It's denominationalism that divides the church. Do you realize there was one church when Jesus died on the cross? There was one group of people meeting in one room that were all believing in Christ. And as it began to grow, guess what happened? Pride set in. Pride and division set in. And somebody decided, I don't like the way they do church there. I don't like the way that pastor dresses. I don't like his country accent. I don't like his Yankee accent. Talk too fast, talk too slow, talk too loud. Don't talk loud enough. Don't like the music. The music's too loud. It's too soft. It's too popping. It's not popping enough. And people decided, I want to do me. And so denominations got formed. And I'm not against denominations. And we are not a non-denominational church. We are a multi-denominational church because I believe that no one denomination has it all wrong, and I don't believe no one denomination has it all right. I believe there are strengths in different denominations. The Catholic Church, all the history that we have of the church, we owe to the Catholics. They preserve the history of the church from the beginning. The, the Bible study methodology developed by John Wesley, continued on through the Wesleyan Church and the Methodist Church, has helped millions of people have a better understanding of the scripture. The determination of the Baptists to go out and witness to anybody that moves and knock on every door and ask if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Are you born again? Has led millions of people to Christ. And the freedom of expression in praise and worship through the charismatic and Pentecostal church has led the church into an opportunity to come to church and pour our love out on God. So I see good stuff all the way around. But I don't see people joining together celebrating their strengths. I see people separating, announcing their differences. That's why when I have people that meet me and they find out I'm a pastor and they start asking me what I believe about this, that, or the other thing, I know they're not trying to unite with me. They're trying to find something they disagree with me on so they can say why they don't like me. Listen, there's too much division on denominationalism. The Bible doesn't say that we're all the children of God by what we believe about speaking in tongues. The Bible doesn't say that we're all... Uh, Three chapters in the Bible deal with spiritual gifts. The whole church divided over spiritual gifts. Every chapter in the Bible deals with God and loving God and loving people, but we don't want to concentrate on that. We want to concentrate on what do you think about tongues? What do you think about healing? What do you think about the rapture? We're looking for ways. The Bible doesn't say that we're all the children of God based on what our end-time theology is, what we believe about eschatology. The Bible says we are one because we love God. Jesus, and I want you to know, it's way more important as a family to focus on what unites you than it is to focus on what separates you. Inside the church, there's racism, there's denominationalism. Not only that, the third wall that I believe God wants us to tear down from inception to now and continuing is class structure. Even inside denominations, there's, there's rich denominations and poor denominations. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, and I don't want to prop anybody up, but go ahead and go to the average Presbyterian church, and then go to the average Kojic church. Oh, Y'all don't want to agree with me? Go to the average Pre Episcopalian church, and then go to the average church of God by faith in Jesus' name incorporated on the side of the road for all people. There's a different class structure going on there. You, there are, even inside racism and denomination, there's class structure. There's Baptist churches, all white Baptist churches filled up with poor people. Come to work in overalls or wife beaters. You don't believe me? 
Cindy Fash can tell you about one. We started one 15 years ago. That's all that was there. And, and we started preaching against racism, and they left. Hallelujah. There are African-American churches where there are poor people, and then there are African-American churches where you better have on a pretty hat, dress to the nines, and be driving a Benz. Am I telling the truth? At least a Cadillac. You can't show up in jeans and a T-shirt at some of these churches. You got the First Baptist Church for white people, where all the fancy folks. You got the first. We got in our city First Baptist Church for black people, where all the fancy people go. There's class structure even inside denominations. Why? Because the devil knows if he can divide us, he can weaken our impact. If he can divide us, he can weaken our impact. One thing that Americans ought to have learned in our generation from the civil rights movement is the power in unification, the power in unity, the power when a group of people are willing to stand against oppression together and say we are going to bond together and get something done. Why can't the church learn that? The homos learned it. Does that bother you? Listen. They learned it. They stole it from the African-American community. And now they're trying to get civil rights based off the backs of what black people went through in this country when homosexuals never been oppressed at that level. But they always want to compare their struggle to the African. I told Elder Robin many times, including last week, last time we had our staff meeting, there was something in the paper I was reading about how the homosexual LGBT community was comparing their struggle to the African-American struggle and fighting for civil rights. I said God knew what he was doing when he made me white. I'd be so militant. I'd be mad at a bunch of homosexuals. if I, I would be letting them know, you didn't get lynched. You didn't get hung up. You didn't get deprived education. You're all good looking and got a lot of money. Stop complaining about stuff. To pretty people with money. Talking about civil rights. Tell them I said so. Where are we at? Hallelujah. I need, drink. I need a drink. Class structure, rich people, poor people, haves, have-nots, pe- people of substance lording it around as if their checkbook determines their value. And we've accepted that as a culture. We've accepted that even in church. We've accepted that. We, we, we believe that what they drive and what they wear tells us who they are. Now we got a generation of kids looking to see who's driving big and wearing big. And it's the wrong crowd, so they're chasing the wrong crowd because we didn't take time to tell them what makes you you is on the inside, not what you wear on the outside. We don't need to just be another church. We need to be a different kind of church. We need to be a kind of church that is not trapped the way all these other churches are trapped. We're not trapped by racism. Am I so stupid to think that there's not racist people in this room right now? No, I'm not so stupid to think that. I know that there are prejudiced people in this room right now who go ahead and and try it. Go ahead and try to sit close to somebody that doesn't look like you and catch their response. Hug that purse a little tighter. Huh? Y'all don't want to agree with me about nothing today. But are we on the right track? I believe we're on the right track. Because we are. I went to a church one time. I'm not going to tell you where it's located on the north side of Jacksonville. But they said they were a church for all people. True story. I went in. There was all people and me. (laughs) So I thought, well, they didn't say I couldn't come in. So I got to agree with the sign. Listen, it takes intentional effort to have a multiracial church. African-American people got to be willing to come to church with white people. White people got to be willing to come to church with African-American people. Everybody in this church got to be willing to have this person as their overseer. Styles, 
cultural differences, musical differences, setting all that aside for the purpose of saying, I want the world to see that we're bigger than what they can see on the outside. There's something on the inside of us that connects us to each other that makes us family. And it's not our race, it's not our denomination, and it's not how much money we have. So we started this church 15 years ago, and the, the trend continues of church decline in America. We've now got less people going to church in America than at any other time in the history of this nation. Less people going to church than any other time. I read a statistic that said if we continue on our current declining trend of church attendance by the year 2020, how many years away is that? Boy, if you're my age or older, 2020 seemed like a long way off, didn't it? Remember when 2020 seemed like, we ain't never going to see no 2020? Four years. If the decline stays on the same slope in America, church attendance will be less than 20% of our population. Islam and Wicca is growing at unprecedented numbers. Muslims are taking over the world. They, they don't even call England, England anymore. They call it London stand. France has more Muslims than French people. England has more Muslims than English people. Islam is taking over. Listen, young people, have some babies and raise them to be Christians. I'm going to keep moving. Y'all don't know. Listen, y'all think the Catholic Church is against uh, birth control as, as a moral issue? No, they just want everybody to have lots of babies and raise them to be Catholics. The church grows like that. I'm going to keep moving. 2020, church attendance could be even less than it is now, and that's sad. But does that mean church attendance is outdated, overstated, or unimportant? I don't believe so. The Bible says God loves the church and that the people of God love the church. Listen to what King David said. Man, I wish you could see these scriptures on the screen so they could sink in even visually. Psalm 122, 1, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. David was the king of the whole world. He was dictator extreme, grand poobah and potentate, large and in charge, the biggest thing on two feet. Nobody told him what to do. Nobody was above him except God. He came and went as he pleased. He was the sovereign king of the world. And he said, I was glad when the church bell rang. Now, we got people today that, well, I guess we ought to go. We ain't been in a while. Let us show our face. Let them know we're still showing up. Listen, you're not doing God a favor by coming to church. God is doing us a favor by allowing us to come to church. I can remember when I first got saved. Shortly after that, I led my sister to Christ. We've been going to church together for our whole lifetime, and now she serves here on staff. And we used to get so fired up because our church we had church all the time. We had church, the church we got saved in, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church. Monday night, we had Bible study. Tuesday night, there was usually a softball game to go to. Uh, Wednesday night, midweek Bible study. Thursday night was door-to-door soul winning visitation. Friday and Saturday night, there was an event called the Peacemaker for Single People that we used to go to all the time. And we would get so excited when it would get closer to time to go to church. We would rush home from our jobs, say, man, I can't wait to get to church tonight. Why? Because the more you fall in love with God, the more you want to be around the things of God and the people of God. David said, man, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now you tell people, let's go to church. Now don't out them, parents. You ain't got to elbow them too hard. But on Sunday morning when you go in there and wake up your kids and say, let's go to church. Ah, I don't feel good today. Well, you felt good enough yesterday. When when do you ever see them not feel good enough to go outside and play with their friends, but now all of a sudden it's church. You you ever notice back feels a little tighter on Sunday morning? Sunday night, well, I'm just a little tired. I don't know if I can make it back. I think my back's about to act up. I think I feel a headache. I think I'm about to have a headache. I might need to wash my cat. You don't have a cat. No, I don't wash cats either. David was glad when he said, let's go. To church you ought to be glad to go to church now if church is boring to you you're not treating it right if church is boring to you you're not getting the purpose of it if you're the last one here and the first one to leave and you don't involve your life with the people of God you're missing out on a big element of what God intended 
the church to be. Before I can get into this message and get you out of here, uh, talking about what we get, what going to church can do for us, I need to understand what church means. Our English word church comes from two Greek words. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek and translated for us into English so we could read it. It comes from two Greek words, uh, ek. Well, the word for church in Greek is ekklesia, and it comes from two Greek words, ek and kaleo. And ek means out of, and kaleo means to call. So a simple definition, and I had this printed out on the screen so you could look at it and just study it, but listen to what Thayer's Dictionary says is the most literal definition of what church is. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place for a very important meeting. A gathering of some citizens called out from their homes into a public place for a very important meeting. If you don't think church is a very important meeting, you don't even understand the meaning of church. Because it's a gathering of some citizens called out from their homes, kind of blows up house church, kind of blows up having church at home, because that's not even what the word means. It means to be called out from where you are to go into a public place with a bunch of other people for a very important meeting. Listen, I still believe 15 years later that having church in this community in this day and generation is important. And I believe that our meetings together are important. Can you agree with me about that? That's what the word church means. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you might be sitting there hearing cliches in your head. Well, Pastor Scott, the church is not the bricks and the steeplets to people. Well, Pastor Scott, we don't go to church. We are the church. I understand the theological implications of all that, but do you realize the fact that you're here today meant that you went to church? So stop telling people we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church, but we go to church. And we're going to look at why we go to church in the next few moments. The the anti-church movement, though, is in full swing in America. Only in America. They're not doing this in other countries. In other countries, church attendance, Christian church attendance is growing. In America, Christian church attendance is declining. And house church has been growing for a long time. What, what are house churches? Let me tell you what house churches are. House churches are a handful of bitter people who got mad because they couldn't get along at the last church they were at. So they took their bitterness and decided, we'll just meet at my house. And we'll be our own church. You're not a church. You just don't determine yourself as a church. I tell you how churches get started. Churches get started through vision. Churches get started through anointing. Churches get started through the providence of God. That's why every true called pastor has to be qualified in some level. Number one, they must be ordained. They must have had somebody lay hands on them and pour oil on them who was already in the club, already. Listen, you can't do the Robert Duvall thing, that movie, The Apostle. He said, I baptized myself. He, you can't ordain yourself into ministry. You got to have somebody who believed in the call of God on your life to stand you up publicly and say, we believe in this. Because the reality is there are churches all across America being pastored by people, and some should be pastoring and some shouldn't. I'll tell you one of the quick ways to find out. Some were called, some were sent, some just packed up their junk and went. If your pastor needs to be called by a group of people to come be the pastor or sent by a group of people to go be the pastor. This crowd of people that decided, nah, they can't feed me anymore. I've outgrown them. I just don't feel that way. It ain't like it. Let's start our own thing. Listen, God doesn't honor rebellion, and God said rebellion is just like to send a witchcraft to him. Stay away from house church folk. Tell them I said so. They have no connection to the fivefold ministry, and they cannot be a church without being connected to the fivefold ministry. Let me give you some reasons why we should go to church. We'll go home. Number one, Jesus went to church. Say Jesus. Jesus went to church. Now, I've had people tell me for years, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I always tell them, yes, you do, because you do. Christian means Christ-like. You might get away with going to heaven without going to church for a little bit of time. God might let you into heaven on grace and mercy without being actively involved in your church, but you cannot be a Christian unless you are actively involved in church because Jesus went to church. Luke 4, 16 says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, 
He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. I wish we had these screens so you could see that phrase about Jesus as his custom was. Jesus was a church-going man. It was his custom to go to church, and he didn't just go on Sunday. He went to church all the time. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 14, 49, when they came to arrest him. He said, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. He said, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching once every three months when I felt like showing up to church. No, every day. Guess how often Jesus went to church? Every day. That was what his custom was. In John 18, 20, Jesus said, I spoke openly in the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why have you come to find me in secret? Jesus was in the temple every day. Jesus went to church every day. If we truly want to call ourselves Christians, we have to be regular in going to church. Jesus went to church as his custom. I wonder, is it your custom to be in church? I thank God some of you, it's your custom to be in church. I thank God for some of you that you make it your custom to be in church and you sit in the same seat so I can put my eye on you and know you're here. Hallelujah. Now, don't be, you know, let's don't get all uppity. You know, I, I've been in some churches where I went to sit down. <clears throat> That's my seat. What if I'm lost and unsaved and need to hear Jesus? Can I, I said stuff like that to people before. Can I sit here then? That's my seat. Oh, I got you. Let's don't be like that, but I'm glad some of you make it your custom to be in church, and it ought to be your custom to be in church, not just because it's a good custom, but because it's what Christ did. If we want to call ourselves Christians, we got to be consistent in our church attendance. Not only did Jesus go to church, but the apostles went to church. In Acts 3.1, the Bible says, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer being 3 p.m. The hour every day at 3 o'clock, the apostles went to church to pray. Every day. Why? Because church attendance is important. In Acts 2, 46, the Bible says they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity. Oh, how I wish we had this on the screen this morning because the house church movement uses this verse to say we should meet in houses. I want you to read it again and see if your hearing works without your seeing. Acts 2 and 46. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Now, where did they meet together to worship God? At the temple. Oh, where well, they met from house to house. Yes, to break bread, to fellowship, to play bid whist and tongue, throw bones. Come tonight, we're going to do that here. But they met in church every day. Luke 24 and 53, at the very end of St. Luke's gospel, when Jesus had commissioned his apostles to go out into the world, and he ascended up away from them at the very end, in the last verses of Luke's gospel, the Bible says, and they spent all of their time in the temple, praising God. They spent all of their time in the the temple. You know, you make church somewhere. Everybody in the world makes church somewhere. When I was in the army, we made church at the NCO club every day. Every Anybody ever been in the military? Anybody ever go to happy hour at the NCO club? All right, me, me and Jane, army people. Hallelujah, digging west. Listen, hey, where I was, if you paid $10 a month, you got to go eat. Snacks every day, finger sandwiches, hand food at the NCO club. We hey, we wasn't rushing home away from that. Plus half price drinks. And we went there. Why? Why do we go there? Just for the food? No. Just for the drinks? No. You can get food and drinks at the house for the fellowship. Hook up with your friends there. Why that popular show Cheers? Why did they go to that one bar, sit in the same seat every time? Every time the fat dude walked in the door, everybody turned around and said what? Norm. How do you think that made fatty feel? He didn't have no smoking hot wife at home waiting on him. He didn't have no cool friends. He didn't go to the gym and work out. He, he didn't have no hobbies. He wasn't on the, on, on the, on the softball team. 
his church was the neighborhood bar. And all across this country, people go to neighborhood bars, not for the drinks. You can get cheaper drinks at home. They go for the fellowship. Okay, so you don't go to NCO Club, you don't go to the bar. Drive-by parks in North Florida. Look at these softball fields. Look at these baseball fields. Look at these soccer fields. Look at these moms with Jimmy's mom on her shirt back. Look at, look at these windshields with proud parent of a, of a so-and-so at Oak Leaf Athletic Association. Listen, they are at that park. Or you think they're at that park one day a month? One day a week? Two days a week? How often are they there, Kairana? Every day. Why? Practice every day. I thought growing up, because I grew up, I played baseball, football, basketball, and soccer growing up. I thought my sons would do the same thing. I'm pastoring. I'm in church all the time. Listen, we lived around the corner from the park. I rode my bike to the park. I signed my kids up to play football. I paid the money in advance, $185 each. I dropped that money on them. First day, orientation comes. We get there. I figure, well, how much we got to show up? Coach said, we practice Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, games all day Saturday. And if we're running behind and I feel like we need an extra practice, we practice on Wednesday. And my coach's style is that we're always running behind. So just count on being here Monday through Friday, all day Saturday at the park. I'm like, hey, hey I, don't, I don't know if I'm an every day at the park guy because I'm an every day at the church guy. So people make their church somewhere. You're like, well, I don't go to the park, the club, or the bar. So you're just wrong, preacher. You sit in front of your TV and make your living room your church. You hang out somewhere. Everybody hangs out somewhere, and the people of God have always hung out at the church. Jesus went to church all the time. The disciples went to church all the time. You might be wondering, well, we're not called disciple followers. We're not called apostle followers. We're called followers of Jesus. Why is it important what the apostles did? Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 20 says that our religion is built on the beliefs of the apostles and the prophets, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. you got to study how the apostles lived. you got to study how the prophets lived. And you got to study how Jesus lived because that's how God wants us to live. If you study their history, you'll find out that not only was Jesus, but his followers went to church all the time. So if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes, and he expects the same out of us that he expected out of them, we should be in church. Can you agree with that? I'm going to give you the best reason why to go to church. Because God said to. Y'all heard about my mama? My mom had one answer to every question because I said so. Don't negotiate with these kids. I'm going to tell you, y'all driving me crazy in Walmart. But why? Well, don't, don't throw all the cans on the floor, Billy. But why? Because then someone has to come by and pick them up. But why? Because they make a mess on the floor. But why? Don't, stop arguing with these three-year-olds and tell them what a good parent Because I said so. And give them that look. <laughs> Breathe in one time and let them know, oh, Jesus, put the can back on the shelf. God said so. Hebrews 10, 25, our, our text verse says, let us, who's us? Christians, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. You may or may not believe that Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus may come back today. He may come back in 100 years, anywhere in between, a billion years. I don't know when he's going to come back. Neither does anybody else. The Bible says nobody knows that hour except God. But we do know that we're closer now than we were yesterday. We're closer to the end now than we were yesterday. And one of the reasons we need to come to church is because God told us not to neglect our meeting together. We need to come together and encourage each other. You ought to see the looks on people's faces on Sunday night. When we got 200 people here right now, we come back on Sunday night with 53 people, and everybody's looking around like, sorry, Pastor, nobody showed up. We all showed up. Come in on Wednesday night, 43 people. Where's everybody at? Neglecting our meeting. That's where they're at. Now, let me say, I know nobody can be here every time the doors are open. I'm not here. Every time the doors are open. That's why I have staff. 
I'm not here every time. You can't be here every time the doors are open. I'll always tell you the same thing. Come when you can. Pray for us when you can. If you can come, come. Don't neglect it just for the sake of neglecting it. Why? Because God said so. Not only that, but Psalm 134, 2 tells us to lift your hands in the sanctuary. Lift your hands in the sanctuary. Explain that to me, house church folk. Can you lift your hands in the sanctuary from home? Do like this. Can you lift? Well, I can have church at the lake. Can you lift your hands in the sanctuary from the lake? Do like this. Well, I can have church at the beach. Can you lift your hands in the sanctuary at the beach? Do like this. No. So you got to show up to do what God said. You can't lift your hands in the sanctuary if you don't go to church. So now that we got that out of the way, now that we got why we should go to church out of the way, let me get back to the title of our message. I just got one last page of notes. We can get through them quick and give you some truth about what going to church can do for me. Number one, it can bless you. Say blessings. Obedience brings blessings. I want you to be blessed of God. Some of you come to church and never feel blessed. Some of you come to church and never feel the joy of the Lord. Some of you live Monday through Friday and you're not excited about God or the things of God because you are not properly connected to the power source of God. Obedience will give you blessing and lack of obedience will shut off your blessing. We've been instructed by God to go to church. And God said in Joshua 1.8 that if you do the things that I've told you to do, then I will prosper you and cause you to have good success. We've got to do what God told us to do. Do you realize that there is a huge appetite in some people to learn new stuff? I just, I'm going to this conference, Pastor. It's on a newer, better way to reach people in our community. It's, it's on the current trends of church growth. It's on the latest and the greatest of biblical exegesis. We don't need anything new because I've never met one Christian that was living everything they know. Most of us learned enough about Jesus the first month we were saved to live on that forever. And if we would do what we know to do, God said he would prosper us and cause us to have good success. James 1.25, God said, if you keep looking into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, say do. If you do what it says, then God will bless you for doing it. God will bless you for doing what the Bible says. Now, you can get blessed by coming to church. You can feel better. You can meet friends. You can get blessed by reading the Bible. You can get blessed by doing certain things But as far as showing up. But if you really want to walk in the blessing that God has for you, you got to do something. God says you're blessed in doing it, not in thinking it, not in declaring it, not in confessing it, not in professing it, not in shouting it, but in doing it. you got to do what the Word says to do so you can have what the Word says you can have. Not only was coming to church open up blessings in your life, but another thing going to church can do for you is it can connect you to the presence of the Lord. I love that, that chorus. The, 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 the presence of the Lord is here. I can feel it in the atmosphere. You realize if you ever really get close to God, you're going to feel some stuff on the inside. You're going to feel some stuff about God and church that you didn't used to feel. Let me tell you something. That's cool. That, that's better than normal. That, that's better than natural. That's supernatural. And if you hadn't felt that yet, you need to keep pressing. You need to keep Showing up, Psalm 22, 3 says that God inhabits the praise of his people. When we gather together in the name of Jesus and we exalt the Lord, God shows up. Well, isn't he everywhere at the same time? Yeah, he's everywhere at the same time. But there's a corporate anointing that the Bible talks about. The, the Bible says uh, that Jesus said where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Well, he's everywhere. But he's especially where people are gathering in his name. He shows up. How cool is that? I like another song, a uh, contemporary Christian song. It says, I'm here to meet with you. Come meet with me. See, because that's what happens biblically. When we come together to meet with God, if we're gathering in his name and we got our mind right, guess what? He meets with us. 
And if you don't meet with God when you show up to church, all you see is me and this motley crew, you missed out on the superstar. Church folk got it wrong. The pastor is not the superstar. The singer is not the superstar. The band is not the superstar. The building, the lights, the cameras, the fog machine, none of that is the superstar. God is the superstar. And we got to meet with him. Psalm 133, God said, it's good and it's pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. I can't dwell together in unity with you, you at your house, I'm at my house. Well, I'm there in spirit. Okay, well, get there in person. <laughs> well, I was dwelling together with you. Listen, get there in person. God says in that same Psalm 133 that the place of unity is where God commands a blessing. The Bible says that the anointing starts from the head and runs down. Even like the dew at the top of the mountain runs down and waters the grass in the valley. Even like the anointing oil that was poured on Aaron's head, it dripped out to his beards and off the garment onto everything around him. You realize if you get around anointed people, you might stumble into something? The word anointing is not some magic thing. It's not magic dust that people sprinkle. The word anointing means to rub up against to where you get smeared. Smeared. Listen, if you came and hugged me right now, and you put your face on the side of my face, and you touched your skin to my skin, you would be anointed. You would have rubbed up against me, and I promise you, that right there, we're going to smear on you. That's what it means to be anointed. When you rub up against God, so much so that he puts some residue on you and you walk away smelling and feeling like God is on you. That's what the anointing is. You get around anointed people and maybe just like some of that ran off Aaron's beard down to his skirt, maybe some anointing will run off some of these anointed people and come your way. That's why we sing songs like, while on others thou are calling, do not pass me by. See, we got to get around the people of God, and we've got to get this corporate anointing. we got to get into the presence of the Lord. That's what going to church can do. It can sit you right in the presence of God and what he's doing. Not only that, but going to church can bring freedom from bondages in your life that you cannot break. You know why people can't quit smoking? It's going to be deep now. I'm going to tell you why people can't quit smoking. Because they can't quit smoking. Ain't that right? You know why people can't quit drinking? Because they can't quit. Someone will tell you they want but, to, but, but they can't quit. You know why people can't quit? Whoremongering, fornicating, doing all. Because they, if you could stop doing it yourself, you had already done it. If you had the power in you to stop being ignorant, you wouldn't be ignorant no more. If you had the power in you to stop showing your behind every time somebody stresses you, you wouldn't be showing it no more. If you had the power in you to stop being critical and negative and judgmental, if you had the ability inside yourself to be a better person, you would have already made all those things happen. But coming to church can break some things off of us that we can't break off of ourselves. Why? Well, we just saw the presence of the Lord is here. When we gather in his name. We just saw that God inhabits the praises of his people. That's corporate praise. That's where God shows up, corporate praise. And so where God is, is where the anointing is. And the Bible says that yokes are destroyed because of the anointing. Well, a yoke is something that binds you or has you in bondage. You got stuff, you, you got emotions that, that, that you wish that you could get rid of. You got habits that you wish you could get rid of. You got issues that you wish you could get rid of. Listen, start showing up to church on a regular basis. Get around the anointing. Get in the atmosphere of God and watch some of these shackles just fall off you. We sing songs like, I hear the chains falling. You don't hear no chains falling from your house watching football on Sunday morning. You got to get in the presence of the Lord so some chains can fall off you because it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Let me give you a last one and we'll go. What can going to church do for me? We all need to be taught. We all need to be taught. What 
did the Ethiopian eunuch say to Philip when Philip jumped up in the chariot and said, you're reading the Bible, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I except some man teach me? Do you realize everything you know you were taught? We are, we are not animals. We don't live on instinct. We live on learning. We, 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 we just don't go out and hunt based on instinct. You go out and hunt because daddy taught you how to hunt. You just don't fish because that's your instinct. Now, some people are better fishermen than others, right, Brother David? Some people know what they're doing more than others, but, but you got to be taught how to fish. Somebody had to teach you how to bait that hook properly so that the first nibble didn't steal your bait. Somebody had to teach you how to set that hook so he didn't wiggle off when you pulled him up out of the water. We have to be taught. You, well, I taught myself there. You didn't even teach yourself how to tie your shoes. Somebody taught you about ears on a rabbit going through a tree trunk hole, something. Somebody taught you, listen, and thank God, most of you learned it by the time y'all were 8, 9, 12, 15 years old. I see you teenagers wearing Velcro. Check, one, two. Velcro tennis shoes are for four-year-olds. Get you some Jordans. We need to be taught. Listen to what the Bible says. Last passage I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 4. God gave gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work to build up the church. That's my responsibility. To equip you. To give you the tools that you need to go out and do the work of ministry. I am the guy, I'm the supply sergeant. I'm the guy at the armory. I'm the guy handing out Kevlar. I'm the guy handing out ammunition. I'm the guy handing out the boots. I'm the guy handing out the uniform. I'm the guy giving you what you need to go out and fight this battle. That's my job, the Bible says. It's my job to equip you to go out and do the work of ministry. Verse 13 says, gives the answer to, well, how long do I need a pastor in my life to equip me? When do I become ready? When, when am I to the place where I don't have to go to church anymore? When, when do I outgrow the five-fold ministry? Well, Ephesians 4, 13 says, when you come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that you are fully mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. You there? You there yet? Are, 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 you, are you already full grown in Christ? You already measure up to Jesus? I mean, are you there yet? If you think you are, you need medication. And, you know, incarceration. Remuneration and any other Asian vacation. We are never going to get to the place where we outgrow our need to learn more about God. We are never going to outgrow our need to have pastors and teachers in our life. We are never going to outgrow our need to be in church. And God said, don't neglect that meeting. Don't neglect that meeting. Fifteen years we've been gathering together in the name of the Lord. Ups and downs. Adversities and triumphs. None of it ever shocked me. Because I'd already read the book before I started pastoring this church. I've been saved for a long time. I've been serving in full-time ministry for years. I served as associate pastor. I served as youth pastor. I was full-time janitor in a church on the north side. I've had every type of job you can have in the church. Evangelism director, intercessory prayer director, couples pastor, singles pastor. I've had every type of job you can have in a church before I came here. God was equipping me to do this work. And it didn't shock me at every bump in the road. Jesus said, don't marvel when the world hates you. They hated me first. Jesus said, as long as you're in this life, you'll have tribulation. The Bible says that there's always going to be trials. Count it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Not might try you. Listen, life's going to happen to you, to yours, to your biological family, to your friends. To your marriages, life is going to happen, and you got to make sure that you hold on to God through it all. And here's one thing I know. Through it all, God remains faithful. Through it all, God never fails. Through it all, 
God is always there. And one of the things I love about God, and I love talking about God, but I'm going to let you go. Maybe the thing I love about God the most is a divine attribute given to God that tells us that He can't change. He can't change. He can't change. The Bible declares something unique about God. He cannot change. It's not just that He doesn't change. God cannot change. He's always the same. What He has been, He will be. And and, and what He will be, He already is. God couldn't change from what He is to something better because that would make Him less than now. He couldn't change from what He is to something worse because that would make Him less than then. And God is always more than that. He never changes. You know what's wrong with us? We change. People change on us. They tell us, I'm down with you. I got you. Ride or die. All this stuff people want to say. You, you know what? You know what all that and a dollar ten to get you at McDonald's a cup of coffee. But God doesn't change. When he said, my love is everlasting, he meant that. When he said, I will love you beyond your sin, he meant that. When he said, if you'll call on my name, I'll save you, he meant that. And he has never changed. And he never will change. And that's what makes our religion the best religion in the world. See, some I, I thank God for my profession. I watched my mother for years as a nurse. My mother went to school, got her AA. Then she got her BA. She was an RN back when RNs had to have a BA. And she was always doing continuing education. Nursing was evolving, changing, right, Chiron? And you got to learn new stuff all the time. And, and she had to get her MBA so she'd go into administration. And it was always this new methods and stuff. I'm in a, I'm in a profession. There ain't never going to be no new method for me. There ain't going to be no new textbook superseding the old textbook. I, I, I have continuing education, but it's not in a different way. It's this one book that I've dedicated my life to, and I'm going to tell you what, it's never changed. And it's never failed me, and it's never let me down. Oh, I failed it a lot. If you be honest about you, you have too. But God never fails. So many people have fallen out of church because they felt like the church let them down, the church failed. No, the pastor might have let you down. Well, he might have been doing his best, and you thought he let you down. You might have believed the lie of other people, or you just might have been involved in something. But listen. I want you to remove the concept of church hurt from your brain. There are people sitting at home right now saying, well, I got hurt. The church hurt me. The church has never hurt anybody. The Bible says the church is glorious and spotless without wrinkle or blemish. I've heard people say, well, when the church gets its act cleaned up, then Jesus is going to come back because he's coming back for a glorious church, for a spotless church. The church is already glorious and spotless. We just bring our foolishness into it. And the best news I have for you is always the same. Every person in this room is only one prayer away from being totally right with God. Because God said if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. On July 15, 1981, I did that for real in a very personal way in my own life. And I got to feel for the first time what it felt like to be clean from all my stain. Clean from all my sin. Clean from all my unrighteousness. And I want you to know the God that loved us enough to send Jesus to the cross 2,000 years ago, the God that loved me enough to send Christ into my life 35 years ago is still saving souls today. And if you'll call on the Lord, He'll step into your life and change you today. I believe that. Whatever your need is, I want to encourage you today to call on the Lord. I'm not going to have a public invitation and ask you to come down here and make make any type of decision in front of people. But I want to say this. We all need the Lord. We need the Lord to step into our situation. And he said, if you'll call on him, he'll hear you. The psalmist said, I called on the Lord in my distress and he rescued me. God wants to rescue us today. He's still rescuing people. We just got to call on him. I want you to call on him today. I want you to tell him what you need today. I want you to trust your life to him. Trust your family to him. Trust your finances to him. Trust your everything to him. Because when you realize that God is all you have, then you're going to know for sure He's all you need. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving the church. 
Thank you for giving us this place for 15 years to gather together in your name. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with your spirit. Teach us, God, to love you the way we should. Teach us to love each other. God, teach us to understand that you called us out of our homes into this public place for a very important meeting. We want to see this world transformed. We want to see this community transformed by the power of your love. But you're not going to do it without us, God. You said that we're your hands and your feet, and we've got to carry this message to the world. So help us, God, to go out and be salt and light. Help us to flavor our world for Christ and to brighten our world for Christ. Help us to share your love everywhere we go. Help us to live lives that would bring you honor. Help us, God, to be in church as our custom is, as your custom was, and as your followers' custom has always been. Help us, God, to be and do all that you've called us to be and do so that your name can be exalted in all the earth. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.